service. It was a little cold out there this morning. Hey, if you're a guest with us, I just want you to know we're really glad that you're with us, whether you're here in the room or online. We just love when people check out what's happening here. We believe God is up to good things here, and we also believe anybody can get in on it. So welcome. Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, I'd like to invite, invite everyone to turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to continue our sermon series through the book of Philippians, which we began last Sunday. And I will read here in a moment verses 12 through 18, or the first part of verse 18. While you're turning to Philippians 1, I'll just remind you that it is a letter from the Apostle Paul to a church that he had planted in Philippi. And as we saw last week, he had a really incredible relationship with this church. They loved him, he loved them. And so now in this section that we're about to read, he's addressing a couple things. One, he knows that they care deeply about him and how he's doing, and they know he's in prison, so he's going to address that. They also care deeply, as we saw last week, about the gospel. They care about the gospel advancing, that more and more people in more and more places would hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And so with those two things in mind, now Paul is going to continue his letter here, and he's going to uh, speak to these things. So let's take a look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Hear now God's holy true, and life-giving word. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you that you are gracious and kind and you have revealed yourself to us in your word and through your spirit and most of all in the person and work of your Son, our Savior, our King, our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray now as we look at what Paul says to the Philippians, help us to see what you are saying to us. Help us to believe you are speaking to us today through your word. And adjust our perspective. And equip us and excite us to continue our mission to make disciples. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. So in 1984, there was a video game that came out called 1942. Okay, and you can't switch those or it's 
awkward. It was in 1984 that a game came out called 1942. And uh, 1942 was a video game in which you were flying a bomber airplane and shooting down other planes on your way to hopefully win the game by going all the way into enemy territory and destroying the enemy. And so you would have all these levels where you were shooting at these planes that are shooting at you. And when you begin, your plane has sort of a single stream of bullets. And so you move back and forth on the screen trying to get your bullets to hit the enemy planes. Now the thing is, though, in this game there were these gun upgrades. And so if you saw one, you would fly over it and all of a sudden you would get an upgrade and that one stream of bullets would become two. Now we're talking. Okay? Oh, but it gets better. Then, as you kept playing, there would be another gun upgrade. And then you had three streams of bullets. One going forward, two going to the side, get out of town. You're going to kill everything. Now, there's another one, though. Then there was another one that you wanted, the big one, the biggest one, the big gun. And that had five streams of bullets. One going forward, two going to this side, two going to that side. It was phenomenal. When you had the big gun, you basically didn't have to do anything. You just left the plane in the middle of the screen and just took your hands off the controller because it was just going to shoot everything in its path. It only lasted for a little bit. But you always wanted the big gun. Always wanted to know, wanted to get the big gun. You know, we're living in this time where I feel like we are seeing and experiencing the brokenness of our fallen world more than maybe we have in recent times. And it's so easy for us to take our eye off the ball. It's so easy for us to see all the brokenness in society and all the things that are wrong with society and rightfully want to do something about all that's wrong in society, but to forget that people's greatest need is not things in society, it's things in themselves. Now, as Christians, we believe that everybody on the planet their greatest need is to be forgiven of their sins. We are all sinners in the sight of God. We have all rebelled against him, not lived up to his righteous standard. We all deserve to be judged and punished for our sin. So no matter what's happening in society, and we should care and be even active about bringing rights to the wrongs of society, the number one thing we have to keep our eye on is everyone's desperate need to be made right with God, which only happens through believing the gospel. Believing that Jesus is Lord and Savior and that his death on the cross has paid for sins and given us righteousness and promised us eternal life. That is everyone's greatest need. And as Christians, we need to remember that. Should we be involved in righting the wrongs of society? As much as we can. But we have to remember that our top priority is making sure that gospel advances. The good news of the gospel, we want it to go to more people in more places. And then when you ask that question, if we remember that, when we remember that the most important thing is that people get a chance to hear the gospel, then we have to ask ourselves a very important question. How does the gospel go to more places and more people most effectively? Or what is that big gun, you might say? What's the big gun in gospel advancement? 
I think we can get swept up into worldly ideas about how you do something. And we tend to think as Christians, well, we need power. Christians need more power in our society. If we get more power, then we can push our message farther and faster. But that is not a biblical way that the gospel advances, not through power. So maybe then we think, oh, it's popularity. We need to popularize everything. We need to have popular Christians. But it's actually not through popularity either. It's not the big guns. If you look through church history, and if you look at the scriptures, and if you look at the passage that we're reading today and studying today, the big gun in gospel advancement is suffering. And what we're seeing in this passage, which is just remarkable and challenging, is the way God is using Paul's suffering to advance the gospel. But also, Paul, who is suffering, saying that he still is rejoicing. Because for Paul, if the gospel is advancing, then he's doing just fine. Because he believes the gospel so deeply and he has been so transformed by Christ and he has seen the gospel transform so many lives and bring so many people into a right relationship with God, enjoying true forgiveness. He's seen this, he's believed this, he's owned this, and he loves Christ and the gospel so much that as long as the gospel is advancing, even if he's suffering, he has joy. That's amazing. And so here's what we have to be challenged with this morning. Now, last week I said that as we study the book of Philippians, we're going to talk regularly about what it looks like to have a more and more Christ-centered life. A life that is centered on who Christ is, what he's done, what he is doing, what he will do in the future. And this morning what we see here is that the more we center our lives on Christ, the more willing we become to suffer so that the gospel might advance. In fact, it's important to even ask that question. How much are we willing to suffer so the gospel might advance? But a big part of maturity is a growing willingness, not a desire, but a willingness to suffer for the sake of the gospel and for the advance of the gospel. We're going to talk about that this morning, that the more we center our lives on Christ, the more willing we become to suffer so that the gospel might advance. And I want to break down three things that we see happening here in this passage. Number one, we're going to see that God uses suffering to advance the gospel to places that are hard to reach. And number two, we'll see that God uses suffering to advance the gospel by inspiring others to step up. And we also see here that God uses suffering to advance the gospel deeper within our own hearts. So let's talk about these things this morning. First, look at verses 12 through 13. Let's talk about this. God uses suffering to advance the gospel to places that are hard to reach. Verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, pause there for just a second. He knows that the Philippians are worried both about how he's doing and about how the gospel is doing because Paul, this champion of preaching and church planting, is now locked up. So they're probably expecting him to say, 
bummer, guys, the gospel is at a halt. But he's got good news. Look what he says. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. That word advancement, advancing the gospel, it's a Greek word that, that uh, is, was used at that time to refer to clear-cutting through a forest, to blaze a new trail. He's saying that the gospel is actually advancing into uh, new territory. It's reaching people it hasn't reached yet. Who's that? Well, he tells us. In verse 13, he mentions this imperial guard. Everybody among the imperial guard is finding out that he's in prison for Christ, for his faith in Christ. What does that mean? Well, these imperial guards were these hand-picked special soldiers picked by Caesar himself to protect Caesar and to uh, do special things like look over prisoners like Paul. And historians would tell us that uh, Paul was probably chained to another prisoner every four hours. I'm sorry, Paul was chained to another guard every four hours. Okay, so every four hours a new guard comes in and is chained to Paul to watch over him, make sure he doesn't go anywhere. And you can almost imagine, every time the new guy comes in, they put the chains, they take the chains off the other guard, they put it on the new guard, and Paul's sitting there smiling at the guy. And this Roman guard's probably like, what is your deal? And Paul's like, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Here's what's amazing. If you go all the way to the end of the book, the second to last verse in the book, chapter 4, verse 22, Paul says this, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So Bible scholars assume what Paul's doing there is he's showing that his sharing the gospel with these imperial guards is how God is bringing the good news of the gospel and forgiveness and righteousness for free by grace through faith in Christ, bringing it to these imperial guards. And some of them are becoming Christians and having their lives transformed, and, and they're sharing the gospel with others, even to the point where people in Caesar's household, people right up around Caesar, are hearing the gospel and becoming Christians. Why? Because Paul's in prison. God uses suffering to advance the gospel to places that are hard to reach. It's like Paul, in some ways, was a gospel Trojan horse. You know the Trojan horse, right? In Virgil's fi fictionalized version of the battle between Greece and Troy, after a fruitless 10-year siege, the Greeks, uh, at the behest of Odysseus, construct this huge wooden horse and hid a select force of men inside of it, including Odysseus himself, and then the Greeks pretend to sail away. And the Trojans pulled that big wooden horse into their city as a victory trophy. Well, that night, the Greek force that was inside the Trojan horse, they climb out and they go and they open the gate so the rest of the Greeks who have come back by the cover of night can come into the city and destroy it, destroying Troy and ending the war. In other words... They brought in the enemy that killed them. And here is Paul, who has been put in prison by the Romans, who wanted to imprison him so that he would stop preaching the gospel, so that the gospel would stop advancing. And they brought him in, and guess what happened? Because God uses suffering to advance the gospel to places that are hard to reach, all these imperial guards start becoming Christians. 
know, you can apply this in a couple ways. Um, individually, we can look at the situations that are really hard in our lives, the things that we would call anything from discomfort all the way to suffering, and we can ask ourselves a question. Um, is God using this suffering to get the gospel to someone or to some place that is hard to reach? Maybe you're going through something incredibly difficult at work and you keep asking yourself, why does God have me here? Why does God have me here? Why does God have me here? Are there lost people there? Then you've got your answer. You can apply it corporately too. Think about this pandemic. We all want it to end. We are all tired of the sadness and the way it's impacting our country. And we should lament those things. There's nothing good about the pandemic whatsoever. But think about this for a second. Thousands and thousands more churches than were are now streaming their services. And people who have never been to church or haven't been to church in a long time, who would never go into a church, are now seeing worship services on their computer screens or their TVs. And the gospel is getting to hard-to-reach people in hard-to-reach places. So should we lament the pandemic? Yes. Should we pray that it ends? Yes. But should we believe and even rejoice that the gospel is advancing? Yes. Absolutely. God uses suffering to advance the gospel to places and to people that are hard to reach. Number two, God uses suffering to advance the gospel to bring the good news of Jesus to more people in more places by inspiring others to step up. God uses suffering to advance the gospel by inspiring others to step up. Look at verse 14. This is awesome. Paul says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now these brothers, and you can read their brothers and sisters, some translations say that, he's talking about people who are in and around where he is imprisoned. And what he's saying is, as these Christians who are around that area, as they now know that Paul's in prison, they know he's there for the sake of the gospel. They know he's there as part of his discipleship to Christ. They know he could probably go free if he would just deny Christ and stop preaching the gospel. But there he sits in chains. And so they know this. And maybe, maybe some of them are like, well, if Paul's chained up, then I gotta go. But more likely... They're profoundly inspired as they see someone who is willing to suffer for the sake of Christ, for the advance of the gospel. Look what's happened. They've become more sure of the truth of the gospel. This is how Paul says it. They've become more confident in the Lord. As these Christians were watching Paul suffer in the prison, they were becoming even more sure that the gospel is true. Why? Because if someone says, I really believe in this, and you ask, well, are you willing to suffer? And they say, no. That has an impact on what they say, does it not? But if somebody says, I believe this, and you ask, are you willing to suffer? And they say, absolutely. Well, then you hear things differently from them, don't you? Paul's suffering was causing other people to step up. They were becoming more confident 
in the truth of the gospel and therefore more bold to go and share the good news with others. This is an amazing thing, and we should think about that. You know, in the, in the 1970s, there was a pastor in Romania named Joseph Tan. And he, uh, at, at that time and place, it was illegal to, to preach the gospel. And so he decides to sneak out of Romania to go to England to get some theological training. He gets his theological training, and after some time, he's going to go back to Romania. And people that knew him said, well, Joseph, what are you going to do if you get arrested? What if you go back and preach the gospel, and then they put you in jail? And he says that he thought of Matthew 10, 16, where Jesus told his disciples, I send you out as sheep amidst wolves. And he told his friends who were worried about him, he said, I know what I'm getting in, into here. I know what I'm risking here. But I would rather take those risks because the gospel advancing is more important to me than my life. People finding out they can be forgiven of all their sins, declared righteous by grace through faith, that is more important to me than my freedom or my life. So he goes back to Romania, and sure enough, he is arrested after preaching the gospel all over Romania. He gets arrested, and they throw him in jail. And when they arrested him, they were interrogating him, and at one point they threatened to kill him. Now, they didn't kill him, and here's why. It's because of what he said to them. He would later write this down in a journal. Here's what he said. Sirs, your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. My sermons are all over the country on tapes now. If you kill me, I will be sprinkling them with my blood. Whoever listens to them after that will say, I'd better listen. This man sealed it with his blood. They will speak ten times louder than before. So go on and kill me. I win the supreme victory then. And they knew he was right. And so they let him go. But he was right. When we see people suffering for the gospel, for the advance of the gospel, it's powerful. It inspires us. You know, you know how we can apply that? We can apply that a little differently than a lot of churches. Here's how. I think the way we should apply that is we should do some inspiring, we should get some inspiration. Do some inspiring and get some inspiration. Here's what I mean by that. Unlike the majority of churches in the country, at least, we actually have, we're very blessed to have a high percentage of people who work in vocational ministry who have been on the mission field, who go to the mission field, not in the last year, but... So many people, and we have people in this church who have experienced persecution, who have experienced levels of suffering, who have gone through really hard things in order to advance the gospel. And if that's you, speak up. We need to hear it. I get it. You're humble and you don't want to brag. But look what's happening here. As they, as the Christians around Paul, who's in prison, are hearing about him being in prison, they're becoming emboldened. We need that. you got to tell your stories at community group. Or over coffee. Do some inspiring. Talk about the things you've seen and the things you've experienced because it will embolden us, make us more confident in the Lord. Do some inspiring. 
And if that's not you, if you're a person who has been here, has not experienced suffering or persecution for the advance of the gospel, then get some inspiration. Get some inspiration. Not only from seeing it in the scriptures, but listen to our brothers and sisters here who have stories to tell, as well as look at the many resources you have in which people's stories of suffering and loss and sacrifice for the sake of the gospel are told. A book I recommend a lot is uh, From Jerusalem to Irinjaya. It's a, it's a whole collection of stories about all these missionaries and what they had gone through for the sake of the gospel. Here's another thing you can do. I looked up the, the movie The End of the Spear. You remember that? Tremendous movie about the advance of the gospel with some tragic things that take place, but some amazing things that take place through that suffering. The End of the Spear. Guess what? It's free with ads on Amazon Prime. Okay? Maybe go get some inspiration. See the suffering and the way it moves the gospel forward in the scriptures and see the way it's moved the gospel forward in church history. That's your homework. Either do some inspiring or get some inspiration this week. It will be graded. God uses suffering to advance the gospel by inspiring others to step up. Number three, God uses suffering to advance the gospel deeper within our own hearts. Look at verse 15. Paul says, some, some of these brothers, sisters that are preaching the gospel with more boldness, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Uh, We've got to understand what's happening here. Paul is saying that some of the people that have been emboldened to preach are doing so for the right motivation. They love Christ. They love Paul. They love the gospel Some of them, however, are preaching the gospel for the wrong motivation, rivalry, envy, selfish ambition. But they are preaching Christ. They're preaching the right message. They just have the wrong motivation. If they were preaching a false gospel, he would have brought the thunder down like he does in Galatians, right? But he doesn't say that. They're preaching the same message he is. But they're doing it out of what you might call ministry envy. Because Paul was this church planner extraordinaire, preacher. Other people who wanted to advance the gospel were were jealous of Paul. They were envious of him. Ministry envy is a very real thing. Where a pastor or a church leader looks at a church down the road that's bigger and is jealous, envious. I mean, if you ever meet a pastor who says he doesn't wrestle with ministry envy, he's lying. I mean, I don't, but um, absolutely I do. Come on. I can actually resume, resonate more with those guys. What a beautiful way to help a pastor look at and does ministry envy. Or but you also see that Paul is 
undeterred and still joyful. They're actually making it worse for him in prison. They're seeking, these troublemakers are seeking to afflict him in his imprisonment. Okay, whether that's messing with his reputation, maybe they were out there saying that Paul wasn't preaching the gospel right, here's how you really do it. Whatever it is, they're trying to make things worse on him. He's losing in this, right? But he still rejoices. Because, yeah, they have the wrong motivation, but they got the right message. And other people, therefore, are going to win. Other people, through their preaching the right message, are going to win. They're going to hear the gospel. They're going to be able to become Christians. They're going to have their sins forgiven. They're going to be promised eternal life. They're going to begin a life of renewal through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he's so excited about that. He's, he's like, it's okay if I lose because other people are going to win. He says, what does it matter? And he's not saying that bad motivations for preaching the gospel don't matter. What he's saying is, what does it matter to me? He's saying, I don't care if I lose, if it means that others will win. I'm willing to lose so that others will win. I'm willing to lose so that other people will win. Where do we think he got that idea? He got it from Christ. If you're not a Christian, you have to know, you have to hear this. Jesus didn't come to... Give us some just moral instruction. Jesus didn't come to be a good person and live an exemplary life so that we might copy. Jesus came to lose. He came to live a perfect life and then lose it on a cross, suffering the wrath of God in our place so that you and I who believe by grace, through faith, could be made right with God now and forever and spend eternity in heaven with God instead of in hell paying for our sins like we deserve. Jesus came to lose so that others might win through believing in him. Jesus came to lose so that others might win through faith in him. And so Paul says in this prison cell, these guys are out there and I'm losing, but I have joy because others will win. It's amazing. And you and I can be people willing to lose so that others will win as the gospel, as what the truth of what Christ has done for us is measurable loss so that we might have an immeasurable win through faith. As that gets deeper and deeper into our hearts, part of how it does is through suffering. Because everything we suffer for the sake of the gospel gives us a little taste of the immeasurable suffering Christ endured for us. You can lose so that others might win. A hundred years ago, there was an earthquake off the coast of Japan. And in this one little village, uh, the people were startled, but then being pretty used to earthquakes, they just went back to what they were doing. Well, above the village, there was... Uh, this farmer who lived up on this high plain, and uh, he was watching from his house, and he could see what other people couldn't see. On the horizon, the earthquake had kicked up this incredibly huge tsunami, a massive wave that he knew was going to pulverize everyone and everything in its way when it hit the beach. Now, he knew that he did not have time to 
run all the way down into the village from this high plain and get to the warning bell and ring it. It wasn't time. So what he does is he grabs his grandson and he grabs some torches, lights them, and runs out into his field where he had just, with his grandson, finished stacking up these huge piles of rice. His entire living right there. And he and his grandson started lighting these piles on fire. And as they did this more and more, there was more fire. And up uh, on the hill now, there's this fire burning. And so people down in the village are, are looking up and seeing this fire burning. And so somebody runs and rings the warning bell. And that brings everybody in the village out. And they all look up and the, f- the hill is on fire. And so they all start moving up the hill to find out what's going on to see if they can help. And they get there as they start arriving up on this plain. They see that this man and his grandson are lighting the grain, lighting the rice on fire. They think this guy's lost it. They have no idea what he's doing. And then suddenly the tsunami hits. Boom. And absolutely destroys everything that was near the beach and quite a ways in. Whole houses just turned into matchsticks in the fraction of a second. And then a second one, second wave comes in. Boom, completely pulverizing everything in its path. But these 400 villagers were all saved because they had come out of their houses and up the hill where they were safe. And so then once this thing hit, they realized that's what he was doing. He was burning all his crops. He was giving up all his income. He was losing everything so that we could win. And 400 people were saved that day. That's just like a little picture, right? Because If you think about the heart of the gospel, the heart of the gospel is that because we're sinners, the tsunami of the wrath of God is coming at us, right for us. We deserve it. But the good news of the gospel is Christ chose to take that wrath for us, to get hit by that tsunami of God's judgment and wrath in our place. He didn't just lose his crops. He lost his life for us. So that we could be made right with God now and forever through faith. If you're not a Christian, you need to understand that's what the gospel is. Being made right with God through faith alone. And for Christians, we need to realize that everything we suffer for the sake of the gospel helps us get a little deeper perspective and understanding of what Christ suffered for us. His immeasurable loss for our immeasurable win. I don't like suffering. I don't want to suffer. But when I see here that God uses suffering to advance the gospel to hard places to reach, I feel more willing. When I see here that God uses suffering to advance the gospel by inspiring others to step up, I become a little more willing. When I see here that God uses suffering to advance the gospel deeper within my own heart, I become a little more willing. May we as a church in 2021 become more and more willing suffer and may God work through us to take the gospel to new places to new people wouldn't that be amazing let's pray father thank you for speaking to us this morning and speaking into the one of the reasons that you allow suffering would you give us strength to endure it would you give us a willingness 
Would you work in us and through us to bring the gospel to hard-to-reach people and places? Would you let our suffering inspire others to trust you more and preach the gospel? Would you let the suffering we experience for your sake enable the gospel to penetrate even deeper, unreached areas of our own hearts so that we too be willing to lose so that others might win and even have joy in the process. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.